Thank you. Maybe seated. All right. Today we want to focus our attention on what the Lord has done for us and for our scripture reading today, let's uh, turn to Isaiah 26. I want to read the first nine verses as we begin. Isaiah 26, 1 through 9. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. Dave, were you going to do that? I wasn't sure. That's all right, guys. <laughs> We usually do it before, and I think Ray's not here, and I forgot Dave's here. I saw, once you left, got up and moved, I saw you. All right. Back to verse 1. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation, which keeps it, keeps the truth, may enter in. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength, for he brings down those who dwell on high. The lofty city, he lays it low, he lays it low to the ground, he brings it down to the dust. The foot shall tread it down, the feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. In the way of the just is uprightness, almost upright. You weigh the path of the just. Yes, in the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited for you. The desire of our soul is for your name and for the remembrance of you. With my soul, I have desired you in the night. Yes, my spirit within me, I will seek you early. And when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. My favorite verse in this passage is verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. I don't know of a person in the world that doesn't want peace. But we don't live in a world that is peaceful. That's for sure. There's more unrest. And I, I, sometimes we qualify there's more unrest now than there's ever been. I'm not sure that's a true statement. I think in all mankind's history, there's probably never been any time when man was... In fact, I read somewhere many years ago, and I don't know how they figured these things out. You have to be a, a master historian. But in, in all of recorded history, uh, there's only 20 years in man's history when there was no wars being fought on planet Earth in all of human history. That's sad, isn't it? But there's no peace. And yet we're going to see today that Christ is the Prince of Peace. So even though the world may be tearing itself apart, you and I, as children of God, can have peace and are expected to have peace. And it's all because of what we're going to remember today that took place on the cross. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. We were there this morning <laughs> for our Bible school hour. And again, I encourage you, if you don't come to study the scriptures with us in our Bible study hour, uh, let me encourage you to do so. Uh, in these day and age, we can't get enough of the Word of God. We need to feast on it. We need to get fat on it, if it were. I don't know about you, but over the holidays, they gained four pounds. Did you? All the good pies and cakes and all that good eating, it shows after a while, and we gain extra weight. But don't you wish we could get fat on the scriptures? But we don't, do we? We have to constantly be dieting on it and feasting on it. And so, not just here at church, and I hope this is not the only time you've opened your Bible this week, is when you've come to church today. I trust it's a daily thing for you to pick up your Bible and feast on the Word of God. And uh, if it's not, maybe that ought to be a good New Year's resolution that uh, by God's grace and God's help, I'm going to begin to meditate on His Word every day so that I can enjoy this peace that He has for me. 
Galatians 1.20 says, And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Without the cross, there is no peace. And so as we focus on the communion today, that's where our emphasis is going to be. How can I enjoy peace with him and peace of him? They're two different. Peace with him is I'm in communion with him. Of course, if you don't have that communion with him, you'll never have the peace of God either. He wants his children to have peace. So if we're here this morning and we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, God wants us to have peace. Did anybody put on their Christmas list? Peace. If Walmart could sell peace, they couldn't keep it on the shelf. But it can't be bought. It's a gift that's already been bought and paid for with blood. And it doesn't come without a price. Now we, I, I, I got mixed feelings about our soldiers coming home. I don't want them over there. You don't want them over there. But we know that peace doesn't come without a price. Same thing with us spiritually. It doesn't come without a price. Christ paid the ultimate price through his shed blood. And in Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, 1 through 5 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. But notice, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. His shed blood is absolutely essential. In fact, is it any wonder that the world out there can't find peace? Because they're not finding it in the blood. They're finding it through their philosophies, through their laws, through their power struggles. You let us think for you. You let us manage your life and we'll all have peace. <laughs> That's their philosophy, but it's not working out too well, is it? And it's never going to work out. But in Colossians, again, 19 through 23, peace is possible. But it's never going to be consistent because of the sin curse. I know my biggest reason that I don't maintain the peace that I want in my life is not because of you, not because of the world I, I live in, it's because of me. <coughs> My sin nature robs me of my peace. But I can get it back quick by looking at these verses that we've already talked about. Reconciliation. Verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself. By Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above all reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, you're not moved from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister." I think Paul understood this. Paul was probably late 30s, early 40s when he got saved. And, and he was looking for peace by being a good Judaizer, a good Pharisee, doing all the right religious things. But he was not finding peace. It wasn't until he realized that that man that he was trying to silence, his blood is what was going to provide the peace. 
And yet, we see he talks about, in, in that passage about troubles and trials, Paul had a, a lot, has a long list of trials and tests, but he always had peace because it was a, because of his relationship with Christ, not because of what was happening in his life, but what was going on in a relationship with him. So he teaches that peace is possible even when we are troubled. Clearly, peace is not the absence of conflict, trouble, or trials. Christ is the only way you and I can have peace. His life. Now, we don't know a lot about his life until he hit, reached age 30. Not a lot of details at all, except for when he was 12 and left in the temple. But if we have any kind of an imagination, we must realize that it could not have been easy to live with four brothers who had a sin nature and two sisters that had a sin nature and a mom and dad and lived in a community that had sin nature and here he was perfect. That had to be a challenge. Of course we knew it really stepped up when he turned 30, began his public ministry. And yet he had a peace with his father and even if we can't, if we can comprehend this, and I'm not sure I can, when he went to the garden and on his knees praying to his father, Father, can this cup be removed from me? Not my will, but yours be done. As he's saying those and sweating drops of blood, he still had peace. That's hard for us to comprehend. Because we think peace is when everything's going smooth and my comfort zone is intact. It's not always what it is. So let's look at it in Romans chapter 5. People of peace. God expects us to be people of peace. I think you would agree that most people long for peace in some way. We've attempted to acquire peace in a variety of ways. I think uh, it was Glenn that shared with me that he was uh, Facebooking what was taking place in his life with the cancer and so on. And a friend had been following him on his Facebook that he hadn't seen in a good many years. That friend, friend finally made contact with him and said, Glenn, I've been following what God's been doing in your life. I don't know what you got, but I want it. That's what's supposed to take place in your life and my life is we are to reflect the peace of God. Because what, what other reason would there be for anybody to want to be a Christian other than, you know, escaping the fires of hell? But when we get saved, God doesn't take us out of here. Don't you wish that was the case? When we get saved, he just, we're gone. But he doesn't, he leaves us here. And now we need to reflect his peace so that others will be drawn to him. So in Romans 5, 1 and 2 we read, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 10. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. What's Paul saying here? If we want peace, we've got to keep our focus on Christ and what he did. Stop looking at the circumstances that are going on around us and focus on Christ. We've been justified. What's that mean? If you want a simple definition, this is it. Because it, it helps me understand it. The word justified means just as if I never sinned. Now, I know none of us here are perfect. But when Christ looks at me, he looks at me through glasses where the, the lens is covered with the blood of Christ. And when he sees me, he sees John Stitzel just as if he never sinned. His perfection, Christ's perfection, has been imputed upon me, and he doesn't see me as an unsaved individual. That's what this passage is saying. Therefore, it makes it possible for me, by my faith in his saving work, 
See, my faith doesn't save me. My faith, what saves me is my faith in what Christ did. That's what saves me. And that's where my focus has to be. It's maintained by His grace. Grace is simply meaning it's something I don't deserve. There's not one of us in this room that deserves salvation. But we're able to stand to the trials that come in the sin-cursed world, and it does not have to rob us of our peace because of that grace. It's our hope. We talked about that a little bit in our Bible study this morning, what that word hope is. And I remember years ago when, and I don't remember who it was that even taught me, but that word hope is a pregnant term. You women, when you were pregnant, you were hoping. Did you know that? We use the word expecting. What were you expecting? You're expecting there's going to be a birth. There's some evidence of that. <laughs> You're getting bigger. You feel that child moving inside. You know a birth is coming. It's guaranteed. That's what this word hope means. It's an expectation. Sometimes we use the word, oh, I hope so. What other word could we use in its place? Well, I wish, maybe, hopefully. We need to get that out of our mind when we're reading the scriptures. Because when we read that word hope, it means I expect this to happen. It's a guaranteed promise. I know this is coming. So peace is something that fits into this. It's a promise that comes through trials and the expectations. So peace is granted to those that follow him. Let's turn to Leviticus 26.6. You'll remember when God pulled Israel out of Egypt. He made a promise to them, and we're not going to read the whole chapter here, but he made a promise to Israel. They were not living in peace. And we've got to remember that Egypt is a picture of our sinful condition. They're living in a sin-cursed world. And God's going to deliver them. And he said in Leviticus 26.6, I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will rid the land of evil beasts, and the sword will not go through your land. What's he say there? I will give you peace in the land. There's really only a very brief period of time in Israel's history when they enjoyed a peace, and that was under Solomon's reign. But all ahead of that, and partly, I, I believe, is because Israel did not go in and wipe out the enemy like they were supposed to. They did a partial job. In fact, I look at that in the same way you and I deal with my, our sin. If we deal with the sin completely, repent of it completely, we're going to have a greater measure of peace from day to day. But that we keep letting it sneak in or we just kind of play with it or we don't go all the way with what we got to do to repent and therefore we struggle with the peace but the peace that they were going to get was because they needed to be lovingly obedient to God not just because they wanted peace but because that's going to develop a relationship with him let's look at Psalm 29 1 Again, he promised Israel. This is David that's writing this psalm. Things are somewhat more peaceful under David, but still there was a lot of wars going on. But Psalm 29.11 says, You have turned for me mourning into dancing. And that's not what I want. What am I reading here? Psalm 30. I'm looking at the wrong chapter. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Now Israel is not living in peace right now as we all know. I don't know about you, but I think it's amazing that that little state no bigger than New Jersey is surviving among all those Arabs that want to wipe them off the face of the earth. Why are they still there? We know why, don't we? <laughs> but the Jews are very troubled people. Because their focus is not on their Redeemer. Their focus is not on their Messiah. But we as Gentiles, we can enjoy this peace because we do recognize who He is. 
Let's turn to Psalm 119, 165. There will be a greater measure of peace that will come to the nation of Israel when Christ rules for a thousand years. I don't believe that day is too far ahead. We'll be here, but not in the same situation we're in right now, praise the Lord. But it says great peace. Not just peace, but it says great peace. Have those who love your law. Now, does that mean that if we just love the laws of the land and we obey every law, that peace will come? The law here is talking about this book. Why do we cherish this book? Why do we come here and, and this book is in our lap and it's opened up? Because this reveals to us the Almighty God. This reveals to me how sinful I am and why I need a Redeemer. And the law is here. And again, we know the law does not save anybody. That's crystal clear. Paul makes that clear, clear in the book of Romans and Hebrews. That the law doesn't save anybody. It just makes it crystal clear. I am a sinner and I can't save myself. I need a Redeemer. But the laws give me guidance. Because how many laws do we want to rewrite today? In fact, a couple more states as of the 1st of January of now legalized and marrying homosexuals. Somewhere along the line, well, in fact, Mike shared with us, and for those that weren't here in our Bible study, he shared with us yesterday in the deacons meeting as well, that for the first time in American history, the atheists, proclaimed atheists, outnumber evangelical Christians. For the first time in American history, we're drifting farther and farther away from the God of this book. And we see the results. Our nation is drifting. We don't have the measure of peace that we once had. And I believe we're the last stronghold of Christianity in the world. And when, that, when, when we lose it, it's just going to filter down to the rest of the world. I don't know, though. I, I read more and more of great revivals that are taking place in third world countries. Where they're under persecution. And Christianity is flourishing. So, America may not be the last stronghold. There may be a new stronghold in the world that will come up. One thing is for certain, God has promised His word will not return void. And so if it's not here in America, it's going to be somewhere else. Galatians 6, 16. And as many as walk accordingly, according to His rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. How do we get this peace? We walk according to the rule. We love to obey the word of God to improve my relationship with him. God promises peace to his people. Peace would come through developing our spiritual relationship with him. Again, numbers. Number six. Twenty-two through twenty-seven. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and what? Give you peace. See, it will be obvious. That when we are living for Christ and loving Christ, it'll show in our countenance. You ladies, and well actually those of you that have been married a great length of time, you know when you walk through the door your wife's had a bad day, don't you? She didn't have to say a word. Now the rolling pin coming in your direction might be a good, you know, no not really. But you can tell by looking at someone, can't you? Where they're at. In counseling, we call it the halo effect. By their eyes, by their, the way they sit, the way they hold their mouth. By, you can tell when things are not well. 
think that to me is an exciting thing to watch in counseling. I've had many come in that are very distraught in a variety of ways. Their body is just almost tense with, with pain and aggravation and misery. But then over a period of time when they begin to focus on Christ, become obedient to the Word of God, and to see them relaxed. Even be able to crack a joke and smile. Because when they first come in, they can't see anything pleasing about life at all. But when we begin to put our faith and trust in the Word of God, and, and what we do in the council, and the same thing we do here really from the pulpit is, we teach you to be obedient to this book, because the God of this book is well worth our obedience. Which develops our relationship with Him. And we begin to develop a peace that, well, we'll look at here in a little bit, that the world doesn't understand. And, and do we understand? Have you been through some difficult times and had a measure of peace? And where, where does this peace come from? I should be so torn up, I don't understand it. And Paul says it's a peace that passes all understanding. We can have peace in that. In fact, some of us who've battled the cancer and gone through all these things, the world would be in a panic. I tell you, that's really frustrating when, when you have to try to find someone to help somebody who is facing that and they're in a panic. I've gone to the hospital with individuals that have gotten that news and their life has been destroyed and blown out of the water and they're in a panic. I've got the big C. I say for our folks here, I commend you. I've not heard of one ever complain and know that it's in God's hands. What he wants done is fine with me. The process might not be pleasant, but it's okay, God. And that kind of peace spills over into other people's lives and people observe those things. And say, How can you do that? What an opportunity for us is because of him. I know Pastor Emerson came in. He was a bit concerned about his cancer. and He said, I don't know where this came from. I don't know where it's going to go. And I said, brother, I said, let me just share with you how I see it. Because my wife was a bit concerned when mine got diagnosed. And, and she says, how come you're not excited? It's a win-win situation. What do you mean? They cure it and I'm fine or I die and go to heaven. <laughs> how can I lose? There's nothing to get excited about. And so when the trials and tests come in our lives, we can have peace in the middle of it, knowing that God is in the middle of it. And the world needs to see that from us. And so God allows us as Christians to go through these things so we can reflect to the world who Jesus Christ really is. This shows the depth of our love for him in 1 John 5, 3. I trust that every day when we wake up, it's a... It's a day that we're looking forward to, a day when we can just please the Lord and whatever He has for the day. I'm sure there's days when we wake up and we, in fact, I do that. I, I wake up and say, okay, Lord, what's on our agenda today, Lord? And I have a list of to-do things, and I'm sure you do too. And sometimes we say, I'm going to get all 20 of these done, right? That's your goal. I want to get all these projects done. And you get halfway through the list. Well, I must have wasted my time. Well, not necessarily. If you worked diligently and all you got was 10 done, how many did God want you to get done that day? 10 and those 10. So what do you do? You take the next 10, you put them on the list, and you reprioritize them, and you start over again. But Lord, we're in this together. What do you want me to get done today, and what are we going to do together? And there's a joy that should be in that. 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God. This is how we love God, that we keep His commandments. But notice that last part of the verse. And His commandments are not burdensome. That means there's going to be some commands that God wants us to do that are not going to be easy. But I'll do it anyways. And you know what helps me with this? When God puts me in a situation that's not easy, 
how hard was it for my Savior to go to the cross? And Hebrews says he counted the joy to do that. So if we want the peace, we've got to have a joy in obeying God in whatever he puts before us. And we can have peace in that. Our Savior had peace because he was fulfilling his Father's will. It keeps us from experiencing the consequences of sin. If we're obeying God, we can't be obeying sin. That's what Galatians 6, 7 through 9 says. We're not going to turn there and look at that, but that talks about we reap what we sow. Sometimes we've got to look at the problem we're in and say, uh, I have no one to blame but myself. <laughs> but let's do look at Galatians chapter 5. We're wanting peace. We long for that every day. And I believe we can enjoy it. Most of our time. Most of our day. But in Galatians chapter 5, 17-23, we, we read these words. For the flesh lusts against the spirit. That's a peace robber right there, isn't it? And the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, the like. I didn't see the word peace in there, did, did you see that anywhere? It's not there, is it? Because there's no peace in sin. And here's a long list of sins that you and I are capable of. We've probably participated in some of these at some point in time, if we're honest with ourselves. But of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, these sins have become a lifestyle for them. This is what they live for. But, verse 23, but the fruit of the Spirit... Notice the contrast here is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Big contrast. Which list do you want to participate in? The fruit of the Spirit is peace. Notice the word fruit. I've pointed this out before, but I bring it up again. Is it singular or plural? It's singular. There's only one fruit. So the day you and I said, Lord, please save me, you got the fruit of the Spirit. It's like, I look at it this way. It's kind of like an orange. How many sections? I never counted. I mean, it's just not the same in every orange. I don't know. But, you know, you got all these little slices of oranges in there. It's one orange, but you get all these pieces. And one of those is peace. Now, also with that peace... It says here, in fact, look at the word that follows peace. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. So obviously peace and long-suffering can exist in the same fruit. <laughs> We're able to endure that long-suffering and have peace. And it's all on our perspective. It's all on our focus. If we are focusing on Christ, we will have peace. If we're focusing on the problem, or focusing on me, I rob myself of peace. Notice the contrast. The difference is because of who we're focusing and what we're focusing on. Peace is provided by those who pursue it. Psalm 37, 37. Now I used to think, and I hope nobody things like this. I was saved when I was eight years old, raised in a Christian home and good Christian churches and, and really had a pretty decent Christian life. And I developed this attitude that because I'm a good Christian and I'm living my life the way I do, I should never have any problems. Did, did any of you ever have that come to that same conclusion at some point in your life? I did. I lived that way for a while until I realized something's wrong here. And it can't be this. There's got to be something wrong with the way I'm thinking. 
But Psalm 37, 37 says, Mark the blameless man and observe the upright. For the future of that man is what? Peace. So if I'm going to enjoy any kind of measure of peace, I have to become blameless. Now that does not mean you're going to be perfect. That's an impossibility. But it says a, a blameless man observes the upright. And, not, and that doesn't mean, well, okay, I see the Bible, I need to obey that, but not today. Observe means, I see it, I will do it. And as long as we are gladly obeying the Word of God, we're going to enjoy a measure of peace. A great measure of peace. Psalm 34, 14. Just go over one chapter, a couple chapters. It says, Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. What is this verse telling me and telling you? If I want peace, I'm going to have to work at it. It's not just going to fall in my lap and be there because I'm a Christian. Because I go to a good Bible-believing church and I have a good Christian home. We're going to have to work to maintain a level of peace. Now maybe that's foreign to our Christian thinking. It was for me for a good many years. But if that's your thinking, now's the time to change it. Because peace does not come without work. It has to be pursued. Romans 14, 19. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Again, Paul understands this. He's communicating it very clearly to us. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace. Obviously, from our own lifestyles, we know there's some things that are not going to make for peace. And I think you and I have experienced that at some point. Have you ever gone to do something and you know it's wrong? What's your, what, what goes through your mind? Does your mind go through mental gymnastics? You know what I'm talking about? You're trying to excuse some way that I can do this sin and get away with it. You're trying to rationalize it, excuse it, ignore it. You're trying to do something to convince Because where does sin begin? Right here. That whole time that we're doing that, we're wrestling with the loss of our peace. God does not want us to lose that peace. I want you to have that peace. Quit doing the thinking and just follow me. I'll make it well worth your while. That's what he's saying here. We're to pursue those things. Peace only comes, becomes, peace only becomes the rule of our heart as we keep our mind on God's word. We read Isaiah 26, 3, but now let's look at Colossians chapter 3. It's foreign to us because of our sin nature. It's foreign to us because of the world we live in. But we need to focus every day and every moment on who Jesus Christ is. Colossians 3.14, But above all things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also... You were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in the word or deed, do in all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe you'll know you have peace because you're going to have a song in your heart. Now, Glenn showed up a little bit late yesterday to our meeting. And, uh, but he came in the building, and we were just chatting, waiting for him to get there. And we knew where he was, because from the, from the time he opened the door till he walked in here, he was singing. He was just singing. He was, he was just enjoying the peace of God. 
And then when he left yesterday, he was the last one to leave. He was singing going out the door. <laughs> now, maybe you can't stand to hear yourself sing. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about when that piece is there. There's a song there. You're thinking about him. And it's just, and I don't like to hear myself sing much, so I let other people do that for me. I play Christian music. <laughs> music that just keeps me focused on Him. And I get the privilege of hearing both my wife and daughter both sing uh, uh, in, around the house, because they can sing. They've never asked me to sing, so apparently I'm not, uh, <laughs> I'm not there. But... Uh, when there's peace there, there'll be a song in our heart. There'll be a freedom. There'll be a, a just a, whew, life's good, isn't it? Yeah, and, and that's what Glenn said yesterday. He came in, isn't life good? You know, his health's not greatest. We live in a sin-cursed world, but he said, isn't life good? Isn't God good? Uh, the reason he could say that because his focus was on God and not on everything else around us. That's what you and I got to do. Keep our focus on it. So peace is only achieved by death. Now we want to look at what Christ did to, to secure it for us. Because we all understand very clearly this peace is not possible because of anything I do. Peace is only possible because of everything he did. And Matthew 10, 20, 34 says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth, but I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Uh-oh, we got a contradiction. Uh, take your pen knife and cut that verse out because we've been talking about peace now. He says, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring up a sword. Is there a contradiction here? Not at all. <laughs> Complete peace on earth is never going to be achieved. You and I are in a... I mean, we got all these minority groups out there complaining about... I'm in the minority and we want, we want our rights. I don't hear any Christians complaining about we're with the minority because <laughs> we are and always are going to be. But here, what he says, look at verse 35 through 39. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than these is not worthy of me, and he who loves his daughter more than me is not worthy of me. For he, does, he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, but he who loses life for my sake will find it. What's the saying? There's going to be conflict between the Christians and the rest of the world. And some of it's going to be family. That's tough. I've never been there. I don't know what it is to have, well, I can't say completely. I had some siblings that were out of fellowship with God for a while, and there was conflict there in a sense that we weren't getting along. We'd go home for Christmas and enjoy time together, but because they were not living for God, they were very, very uncomfortable being around us at that particular time. I remember my sister coming at the peak of her uh, living for herself, and literally, I don't think she's there 15 minutes. And he's like, well, oh, I've, I've heard, I got something I got to do. <laughs> and out the door she goes. Now, we wish we could spend more time together. Why? Because she's got her focus back on Christ. But, it's, again, some of you may know what this is. I don't. As I've shared with you before, out of 69 folks in the Stitzel family from my grandparents, my grandfather was saved out of alcoholism. Um, by his, his dad was an alcoholic, his mom was an alcoholic, they both died, and uh, God used that to bring my grandfather to come to the Lord. But it was a long history of alcoholics. But from my grandfather who come to know the Lord, out of 69 of us, there's only two that don't know Christ, and they married into the family. That's what God can do. Complete peace can come to a family. So I don't know what these personal conflicts are, but you may. But sin will keep us from being complete. Even during a millennium, it won't be perfect peace because it'll still be sinners during that millennial time. But there will be a great measure of peace. So Christ is speaking of his coming death in John 16. We're not going to turn to that passage uh, at this point. 
but Christ is speaking of his own coming death and how it will provide peace. Peace is only possible through his death. We do need to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, 14 through 17. For he himself is our peace, who made who has made both one and has broken down that middle wall of partition, talking about the veil in the temple, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from two, thus making peace that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting death to the enmity. Peace is through the cross. We know that. We see that. We remember that today. But I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4 and see what else this peace will do for us. Peace is not just enjoying a comfort zone, which we know is not really a comfort zone now. But there is a sense in which we long for it. We, we want to maintain it. But Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, giving thanks that your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You see the value of peace? Our anxiety robs us of the peace. That's because our focus is wrong. We're focusing on the problem, not on Christ. But when we get our focus on Christ, then the peace returns, verse 7. But notice what it does for us. That peace will guard our minds and our hearts, our motives. Let me illustrate it this way. Because this is very real and personal to me. When God called us into the ministry, I had no intentions of going into home missions. Because I knew from my uncle being a home missionary that raising support as a home missionary was next to impossible to get 100%. Wasn't going to go there. But, you know what it is? You never say never to God. Mm. Making a long story short, my uncle put that question to me, and my wife and I said, ain't no way. And for six months, we had no peace. Because we knew that's what God wanted, and there's no way I was going to do it. There came a day, though, and I don't know if my wife remembers this, but I remember it. We were driving down 81, going home from somewhere, and we got discussing that matter. And my wife said, why do I think we're going into missions? And that was our resignation to do what God wanted us to do. And, and I can remember like it was yesterday. It was like somebody opened up the car window and stuck it in an 8-inch fire hose and flooded that car with peace. We quit fighting God and said, okay, God, whatever you want, we'll do. That's what he's talking about here. The anxiety we put in ourselves rather than But now that we're in that peace, I remember those days, and I wasn't mean and nasty to my wife, and she wasn't mean and nasty to me, but there was no peace. I didn't like it. And now, because of that, from that day on, when I sense that there's something going on in my life that's wrong, I don't want to lose that peace. And it helps me guard my heart and my mind. God, whatever it takes to maintain this peace, I want it. I'm staying there. I'm thinking like you. My motives are with you, God. I'm with you. Don't rob me of my peace. Well, he's not going to rob me of my peace, is he? <laughs> if I'm losing my peace, who's robbing it? Me. So i got to keep my focus on him. So if you've ever been there and you know what I'm talking about, you've lived that life where there's no peace and you start drifting off into that sin or you start, start fighting God on something, you're going to say, no, Lord, I don't want to go there. Help me think right. Help me get my goals and values right so I can maintain that peace. That's what the value of the peace is. That's what this passage is saying. And so as we look at the communion today, 
our focus is on the peace that comes through his shed blood. I remind you before we get into it, the, the, the broken bread, and we use a cracker, we call it a cracker, but it's unleavened bread. There's no yeast in it because his body was free of sin. There's no salt in it. Get a picture of sin. The, bread, the cup is grape juice. It's a picture of his shed blood. We may not completely understand why a holy God required blood to be spilt to atone for my sin, but you know what? I don't have to understand it. All I know is Hebrews 9, 22, about the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And therefore, if that's what's going to take to take care of my sin and provide me peace with God, I'm okay with that. Because God's so much bigger than I can comprehend that why am I going to argue with Him? In fact, there's been some things I've been praying for and I said, Lord, help me get this right because you say, if you don't ask, you don't get. So I'm going to ask, but God, who am I to tell you <laughs> what to do? But God, I want it right. I want it to please you. So as I pray, I'm going to ask our deacons to come and prepare for our, our uh, communion. And uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you that through your shed blood, your son shed blood, we, we can have peace. And it can be maintained and maintained well. But it's all because we've got to focus on his shed blood, his broken body. And so, Father, help us to long for that peace and not the comfort zone type peace that we want to have but that peace that we are in your will we are in right relationship with you and we're doing the right thing for the right reason and have a peace that just passes all understanding as Peter sh shares with us thank you Father for sending your son Christ thank you for coming and doing what you've done on our behalf that we might enjoy only the peace that you can provide.